All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 150 of the Neil and Jordan podcast, the international guest that I was talking about two weeks ago, as I'm sure you've all figured out from the title, is Doug Stanhope. Doug Stanhope is a huge comedian from America, and he's currently touring Australia, and we were very lucky to be able to do this podcast with him. I did it with my comedian friend Shane, and look, just before we get into the podcast, Doug was very sick. Uh, it was the night before his first show in Australia. He had, I think, one hour sleep. And Shane and I, we were fanboying. We were a bit nervous. Uh, we're, we're obviously big fans of him. If you haven't seen his stuff, go check him out, Doug Stanhope. And look, there were times in the podcast where it was maybe a bit awkward uh, the conversation wasn't necessarily as free-flowing as in other podcasts, but nonetheless, it was a huge opportunity to be able to podcast with this man, a man we both respect and admire very deeply, very greatly. Uh, this will start at the two-minute mark, and then after this podcast, which will go for about 45 minutes with Doug, I think at about the 47-minute mark, is when I will wrap up Neil and Jordan, uh, before we go on this big indefinite hiatus, there's one last question. I'll announce how much we all donated collectively to charity. It's a lot. And uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you want to skip through to that bit, it'll be at the 47-minute mark. But otherwise, enjoy Shane and myself talking to Doug Stanhope. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Doug Stanhope. Doug, thanks for having me. No problem. How are you finding Australia? Uh, it's 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 all right. I I have some kind of fuck. I'm dying of something, but I don't know what it is. According to uh, everything I googled, it's either um, lung cancer or uh, uh, bronchitis or pneumonia, something like that. So get those tickets quickly, guys. Because <laughs> yeah. it's. Uh... No, we were podcasting here yesterday, and Alex. I mean, I've been, I've had like a, a cold that, yeah, the, the my lungs are waking me up at night, like wheezing, and uh, he dropped me off uh, from here yesterday at the uh, at the comedy condo, and then uh, I got out and went to the condo, and my key didn't work, so I went to call him to say, "Hey, come back. The key doesn't work," and I realized I left my phone here, so I had to walk. And these fucking rolling hills like San Francisco. I got up one of the halfway up one of those hills and went, I think I'm gonna die. I really damn. So I'm treating every possible thing it could be. Is it could it be COVID? No, because it's been going on. This is this has been going on way too. I should have addressed this before Christmas. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Shit. Shit, man. Well, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you get better. And but yeah, I scored some antibiotics. Alex got me hooked up on that, and uh, I dropped all my cigarettes off. I go, okay, done with the cigarettes for the rest of this tour. And uh, wow, so you're gonna be? Um... And I feel fucking great because I I didn't drink or smoke last night. Uh, everything said you yeah, so refrain from alcohol with antibiotics. Oh, yep, and. Uh, and sleeping pills because they depress lung function. Oh, yep. So I've been up like I've been on fucking cocaine, just not drinking or taking sleeping pills. I slept about an hour and a half last night. I was doing push-ups and shit. Oh, oh wow. Shit. Shit. I wow. Feel, I feel good. I still I, I still got the wheezy lungs, but yeah, I feel, I feel powerful, as they say. Wow. Fuck. Are you going to be doing the shows like this, fully sober? No, uh, I, I might. I, I can't imagine not having... At least a glass of whiskey in my hand, but I'm yeah, I'm not gonna be drinking. Do you remember what was the last show you did where you were 100 percent sober? Uh, I I don't remember. Uh, the last I, I'm sure there's been one since then. The last one I remember is 2004, and I was still in a mixed bill, so I was only doing like 25 minutes. So yeah, a full sober set. I I I couldn't tell you. Damn. Fuck yeah. 
<laughs> Love that. Um, so what's your experience been in Australia so far? You enjoy the country? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I haven't left except to do, I uh, did a podcast with uh, Ben Elwood and, and Shane. I was just uh, saying earlier that uh, me and Ben were actually at Neil's first gig first when he was by, like yeah. 15 or something right. like yeah. that, like just did high school or something. It was an open mic at the Laugh Garage in... Um, 2011 or 2012 and uh i remember ben you, you and ben were roasting me before the gig were we yeah and then i did i did all right and ben came up to me yeah, and said hey look man really managers well. are going to want to sign you don't fucking sign with them all right so <laughs> good advice i think but yeah. uh yeah um we go way back cool yeah yeah that's all i've done i didn't even know this place existed till yesterday or i i might have snuck down i was here for a few nights i didn't know they had a yeah, a bar that you didn't have to watch comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they just said comedy club, and I'm like, yeah. But, I, oh, the smoking area, outdoors. Well, I quit. Now I'm on Zipix, Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Hey. Is that is that is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It's a sponsor, too. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I, I imagine that's sort of that primal, um, apparently like a, like – my mate who's a doctor, when people kind of lose their mind a bit, um, that they, they have this like reflex to like suck on the, the nipple, right? So like when people are like, they'll start, like if you kind of rub their face, they'll try to suck on a nipple because it goes back to when you're a baby. And so I wonder if like smoking is like smooth, like soothing because it's kind of like breastfeeding. Slightly reminding of us, yeah. of our mom's tits. Yeah, of our mom's ashy tits. Yeah. <laughs> I was a, a Louis C.K. observance bit joke, whatever, that you go, how come I didn't think of that? How come we all didn't think of that? Like, men are obsessed with breasts because we were weaned on the breast. Oh, and that's why right. he goes, yeah, but so are women. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I never oh, thought of yeah, it. Yeah, right. Yeah, true. That's true, yeah. Well, maybe they're, they're obsessed with their own breasts. You know, maybe maybe their, their their mother complex is like it's like a Freudian thing going on. Yeah, like they have penis envy. We have tit envy. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe we just make up a bunch of bullshit to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to sound so, smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like star signs. But maybe like, I did cigarettes that. are just great. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of tit like. It's also very dick like. I feel. The, I feel like the cigarette is more dickish than tittish. Uh, yeah, maybe. It's, it's kind of phallic. Um, well, there you go. Um, there you go. Patents, huh? Is that the theme of the show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the, <laughs> what objects do we ingest that remind us of our parents' genitalia um, podcast? No. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, this is your first time meeting Neil. So, Neil, um, like, he's done stand-up since he was 15, but he... Uh, is How old are you now? I'm 28. Right. Yeah, so I'm also... Uh, I do a lot of content and stuff like that. So and he's sort of the, like the first kind of, in Australia anyway, like kind of the generation that started using like YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and stuff. And uh, now everyone's Yeah, got like a big, that. got a big audience like kind of early on, which led to a lot of irrational resentment of the older comedians because he could like <laughs> shell out a room. Oh yeah, no, that's what, that's what happened to Dane Cook. He was the... You know, the guy that made it huge on MySpace and everyone, like, they they didn't just hate him for doing that. They hated MySpace. Like, some of the old bitter cuts, they're like, I'm not doing that Dane Cook shit. I do things the old-fashioned way, but being funny. Right. But no one's showing up. What's, yeah. what's the dynamic like now in, in the States? Because I've listened to a few Joe Rogan podcasts where he talks about the internet guys are coming <laughs> in. You're, you're only old enough to have listened to a couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Four or five, you know. Um, the internet guys are coming in and, and selling out the improv and stuff like that. And is there still that kind of... I have no idea. I, okay. don't, I don't know anything about comedy in the States, uh, except for my own shows. I don't go, there's no comedy club where I live. If I'm not working, I don't see comedy. So I, I, I remember um, actually uh, some, one of your posts on MySpace um, where you were talking about people who are kind of, you know, have that self defeating attitude of like, where, 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 where. Um, and you said that you, you're basically, your, your blog was saying that like any bar is a, it could be set up a microphone. Like there's so many 
opportunities to go create gigs. Your own show. That yeah. you that is such a waste of energy to whinge about peers and or comedy well, clubs won't book me. Yeah, and and how self defeating that is. And that that was like. Yeah, really useful to kind of read earlier on. That didn't stop me from whinging and making the same <laughs> mistakes. But just like uh, Neil ended up getting um, management that even though Ben told him not to at the beginning, that I think was a thing. But yeah, I definitely think that, that well, yeah. ethos of like just fucking... So you're signed with someone? No, right now I'm independent. Oh, shit. I so, I yeah. going to say, I want to sign you to see if you'd break the contract. <laughs> um, I feel- now that you're single, I don't want you. <laughs> Got that like incel mentality of like comedians where oh fuck they don't they're all fucking the gatekeepers of comedy I hate them anyway oh, which yeah. is actually like what's causing them to not get booked wait what does that mean I that incel? comes up a lot no no gatekeeper like, does that mean someone who keeps people out basically I think yeah I think it means uh, if you're like a gatekeeper of comedy you get to choose who performs at a gig or, you you know, you might be the booker of the, the improv or something like that. I just heard someone use that expression. I don't know if it's a podcast or on TV, but however he said it, I go, I don't think you know what that word means. I mean, I know I don't know what it means, but the way you just said, I'm just like a gatekeeper, I go, that doesn't make sense in the sentence. I think so. th- I think it, there's a certain people who, only certain people have the definition of gatekeeper, and they're not sharing the definition with other people. And uh, it's a bit of a problem. I think this guy just tried to use, it just became part of his vernacular. Like all of a sudden people say cuck. Uh, and you're like, oh, that word was, I knew what it meant, but that was not a popular word. You just used it because you heard, and then everyone's using cuck. Um, That's and, a big one now, yeah, well, cuck. So the, is that the hill you're going to die on and... Uh, there's another one in the cancel culture, uh, punching down. Oh, Nobody knew right. what fucking punching down was except comics, and I hate when the general public picks up our vernacular and uses it like it's their everyday terminology. Get out, get the fuck off my porch. Right, yeah, it's sort of like uh, like if we started using like plumber terminology or some yeah. fucking, yeah, engineering terms. Like talking down to engineers about what a good engineer should do. <laughs> yeah. That fucking pisses me off, hey. Like, well, this is actually what a good comedian should do. I also... Like, can like, you do five? Have you ever even written a joke? I, I, I think that, like, uh, one, like the whole, like, oh, you shouldn't punch down in comedy or whatever comes from this, like, weird idea that if you're, like, poor or marginalized, that yeah, somehow... The, the expression itself is, is belittling. Yeah. Wait, you're, you're you should those people who are I can't me, defend myself. You're saying they're better than me. They're punching down cuz what? Yeah, it implies that they think they're superior to the p- people that they're talking about, right. which is inadvertently punching down. Yeah. But um I also think just the the angle I was sort of uh thinking of is just the idea that just because you you you're poor or or whatever doesn't mean that you sh- are beyond um ridicule. Do you know what I mean? Like quite often the person, like I've only been mugged violently at knife point by poor people. You know what I mean? Like I'll fucking punch down on him. You know what I mean? He's going to stab up on me, the fucking piece of shit. So, you know, like I think fucking Bogan, like I used to have that idea. Oh, I shouldn't make fun of uh, Bogans is the, you probably, yeah, 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 yeah. Shouldn't make fun of them. But I think they, they need to be ridiculed, you know, I, because a lot of them are bad people because they're fucked up. Yeah, you can't gatekeep that, can you? Yeah, I, I yeah. call him Joe Rogan's because someone told me what a, a, a seppy was. The rhyming oh. slang for septic tank for yank. So I call if anyone who calls me a seppy, I'm going to call him a Joe Rogan. A Joe Rogan. For a Bogan. Oh, All right. Uh, a rogie. The Joe, the Joe Bogan podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Do you- anyway. Do you gig much when you're when you're here in Australia? Will you come and do clubs and things like no, that, or do you? I don't do that anywhere. Okay, no. So like, if I go to LA to the comedy store, I'm just there to see old friends. And they, they, okay, oh, you want to do a set? Absolutely not. So, do you try when you're doing shows? You put new material in there, and that's yes. how you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And did you always do that, or was it for yeah for many years? Like, okay. I, you get to a place where you developed your own audience. And they're going to pay to see you. Why are you going to go? Like the, everyone that gets in trouble is at the comedy cellar doing a free set uh, for, 
I have to think your own ego and they're trying out new shit. Save the, save the new shit for your audience. Like why, why are you taking some open micers time is the way I, I look at it. Someone needs to, I don't know. Some people are more professional than I am, I guess. But that's when you're playing to the general public that doesn't know they're coming to see you. Yeah. Then that's where people are going to get mad and yell. No one's walking out of fucking Louis CK or Dave Chappelle's show when they paid $180 for a ticket. That's a good point. Do you think there's, because like when I started out, the mentality was like, oh, if you perform to your audience, you get a, you always get positive feedback. Whereas to know if the jokes are like funny to everyone else, you have to go and perform to a general audience. Yeah. And I, I've got to a place where I don't care if it's funny to other people. <laughs> I know my people are, will like it. So I, why, why not just, uh, I made that bed. Why not lay down in it comfortably? That's a good point. Fair enough. Yeah. Nice. And are you, how much longer are you here in Australia for? Uh, I just, first show tonight. Okay. So, till the fifth, I'm only doing like eight shows. Okay. Uh, We sort of like jumped in this podcast sort of real quickly or whatever, but um, I think it's worth mentioning that like some of your audience, they might be like a bit younger or whatever, like, I don't know, like 18 or whatever. So if there's anyone listening to hasn't heard of Doug, you should, you should look him up because he's, he's. Some like a lot of comedians like put him, you know. Up personally, I put like you're my favorite comedian, but a lot of people put him in like the top five or whatever. And so, if anyone likes sort of like a contrarian, um, you know, kind of point driven comedy that sort of breaks down the preconceived, you just sort of go taboos. on YouTube and just like anyone else, like we would do, look up my name. Doug Stanhope, and then look at the uh, titles of the uh, tracks or whatever, and you're going to g- gravitate towards the one that seems interesting to you naturally. So do yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and uh, yeah, he's, he's touring Australia at the moment, so check him out in, in Sydney, Brisbane, and all the all, cities. Canberra, sold Canberra out? Adelaide. I don't, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't think so, but okay. wait, Perth is? So yeah, I don't know, because I, I assume they're not. And then I had someone I guess I've met high at a hotel bar in Tucson, and I I said she said oh Perth that we go all the time and it was sold out and I said oh I'll be able to get you in and he said no not even standing rooms even sold out so wow so Damn. yeah just check it my website or fuck yeah nice and then what's the plan after Australia are you heading back to the states or yeah 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 I'm I'm playing Canada. Seattle and then Canada uh, up until early May, and then I'm taking a long time off. Yeah? Yeah, figure out what to do next. Yeah, nice. What are you thinking for the long term? Because I've heard that uh, you might be toying with some different kind of content, putting different things out there. I I don't know. Yeah, I want to change up my podcast. I want to write a brand new act. I want to, yeah, I want to do a bunch of shit. And first, I have to have no dates on the books. Yeah. So, like, I am officially retired in my brain, and I can start from scratch. Yeah, nice. It's just a mental place. Yeah, because you've, fuck, so much of the year, you must be just living out of a suitcase, out from your from your base. Does that take it, a toll? Yeah, it, it can. Uh, I don't know. I used to say I'd never, I, I never get sick of hotels, but I'm living in one right now because I had a house fire. Heard you had a similar problem with some of your friends. Oh, yeah, you heard about that. Yeah, yeah well, funnily enough, he's usually the co-host of this podcast. Yeah, that's but, what uh, I heard. Yeah, he's got a lot of enemies. So, <laughs> yet the mainstream media still calls him problematic, even yeah. though he's uh, literally being firebombed. Yeah, so, so uh, well, I don't know, maybe before we dug in, do you know much about this story? No, just th- it's, that. It's pretty wild. About the casinos and... Yeah, so so basically, this guy Jordan Shanks, he does a bit of stand up, but he's mainly like a YouTube kind of comedy dude, and he did like a bit of sort of Gonzo journalism mucking around. Um, well, he uh, managed to get someone who's in our state parliament, in like the deputy leader, to essentially quit. He really, he truly had an impact. But then everyone in the media will just be like, oh, no, he's we don't like what he says because he did an accent once. 
Yeah, well, it's probably because... Has, has your audience know this entire story? Yeah. All right, then what I want you to do is uh, send me a link to a story about this, because I'd love to read about it without you having to rehash it for people who know it. Sure, well, that, that's the basic gist of it. He's uh, gone after a lot of uh, powerful figures in Australian politics and, and just the Australian establishment, and uh, he's paid the price. I mean, he's all good now. He's come back, but... um. Yeah, it's uh, a pretty interesting firebombing his home. Yeah, That's yeah, wild shit. It's dude. like something out of a movie. Yeah. but in a weird way, was it you? I was telling you this. Like comedians are kind of jealous of that. Like that's how you know you've truly made it when <laughs> right. you, when your life is at risk. It's got it's got clout. <laughs> I I I really am envious when someone has a story like that of of any kind where like all right. I can fucking, I'll get an easy 12 minutes out of this. Like, no one else has this story. Yeah. I have fucking spinal cancer. That I'm going to a notebook before I'm going to a doctor. Yeah, totally. No one's going to go on stage before you and do the Barkies burn down my house bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, uh, Doug, I was wondering, uh, years ago you did a thing called Doug Stanhope Go Home. Yeah. And for those who don't know, it was Doug Stanhope did a, a show for some UK BBC. TV or something. Yeah, one of them. And and it was basically like maybe 15 minutes of stand-up about like the stupidity of immigration and or anti-immimigration stuff. Stupidity of immigration. <laughs> and then I just like making fun of like a, the sort of extreme xenophobia and then um, followed with like a bit of sort of going into the field interviewing some like far-right politician and on like a conservative callback radio and um and uh yeah and i that, I thought that was such a fucking sick format for a comedy show and i don't think anyone's done anything since that's on that's like that you know and uh, i was wondering like what would what, what were your thoughts on that uh, i vaguely remember that's probably 14 years ago yeah. That's a long time ago. I, that's, uh, you pulled that yeah, deep was, track out of my, fucking, your ass. It was fucking a, a, sick, a sick show. I do remember loving the way it was filmed and noticing how little uh, manpower they had to put into making something look so good. Like yeah, if that wow. was filmed for Comedy Central, there would have been a crew of 25 people and people getting fucking overtime and people, you know, some PA just standing there with a cooler handing you a Coke. This was like, yeah, four people made a gorgeous. Wow. It was the simplicity of making something look so much better that I took out of that. Wow. Well, maybe that's why it was so much better is you didn't have so many moving parts that slow it down and... And then, you know, make something very bureaucratic and which would dampen the comedy, Dude, I suppose. That, uh, the Charlie Brooker shit I did, uh, Doug Stanhope's Voice of America or whatever my segment was called, three people. Yeah, you know, wow. Two people would fly from the UK to my place and then they'd hire a local sound man. Yeah, but, wow. Because they always look sick, those bits. Unless it's like a Marvel movie, why do you need, you know... 500 people on set well, creating be, comedy. I think the the smaller you have every, it. A million reasons. Nepotism. People mm. want to get their friends a job. Unions suck. <laughs> Unions create work that is unnecessary work. You know, there's a there's a lot of reasons. Yeah. And then Alec Baldwin still shoots someone, so. People have a giant camera and I go, can't you sh shoot shit on an iPhone now? Like, do you really need this? You need a support belt on this giant... Well, no, that guy bought that camera, so he's going to want to use it because he's not going to admit that you could do this on a fucking iPhone. Right. It's People like don't want to say that, oh, I'm ir irrelevant now. I'm obsolete. Mm. Yeah, it's like when people get elaborate degrees that are just completely with useless skills, but then they need to feel important to like it's, justify it's the, the... The sunken cost fallacy. Yeah, that's exactly it. But... You've shown, you know, you don't need you don't need a big team around you to create great comedy. Yeah, no, that was that was yeah. If you if you when you when you retire, um, uh, you should yeah. I, I that that format fucking rocks. That's yeah, and I I just I'm just surprised that I haven't seen any comedians do anything like that because that format seems so. I'll obvious. have to watch it again. 
Yeah, do it. I don't know how Australian comedy works as a like how many people are involved, but is there a lot of sniping and infighting about stolen jokes and shit like that? No, not, not so, so much, much stolen jokes, but just uh, like bitching about uh, whether someone got a role on TV and that sort of stuff. Because there's a lot of there's much more limited opportunities here, yeah, and so. It's just a, a clusterfuck to try to get on. The thing with Australian comedy is, like, to make it as a comedian, you almost have to stop doing comedy. Yeah. You I, have I, to, like, I've go onto radio on or, or TV, and yeah. very few people just purely do stand-up. And that's why it's so cool to see how, you know, that's not only possible, but it, it can be, like, really successful yeah, in the how, States. How many, uh, who are full-time comedians, like, that don't have a side gig on television well, pretty much like Carl Barron and that's it there's, there's, you could probably count them on your hand if, if, if they don't do any television I mean I, I don't know anyone other than Carl Barron do you? oh uh, yeah I, I don't know I think there's probably there are the road dogs th- there's some people who are on Centrelink who, yeah. who <laughs> you count that as full time what's that? Uh, that's our social welfare thing that's like <laughs> yeah. your unemployment benefits in Australia I, I wonder how many towns you could put a hundred asses in the seats. Well, there, there used to be this guy called Jimbo who was, uh, he used to, he, he grew up in like a carny family, right? And so he would, he had a pet goat called Gary the Goat, which was more famous than him <laughs> and had like a bigger following. And then the goat died and he was fucked. But then he, he, he toured around Australia like for two years nonstop, stopping at little like country towns. He'd drive around in a, in, in a van and he'd rock up to a pub like sometimes unannounced and go, oh, I'm going to do a comedy show. It's starting in an hour. And the pub staff are like, what are you talking about? We've never heard. And then he'd been walking around in the town that day and people would see the goat and be like, yeah, I'm doing comedy at that bar there. And then and then all of a sudden like 70 people rock up. We're here for the comedy show. And then the, the venue would have to, oh, okay. And so he would end up doing these like two-hour comedy shows where he would have like a kind of do jokes and stuff, but he would have like a lot of weird, chaotic crowd work where sometimes people would drink their own urine on stage. And <laughs> it's fucking, his name was like Jimbo and or Gary the Goat looked that up. But yeah, he did that for like two years and he would end up just getting like a whole bunch of cash from the bar and then get a free bed and breakfast. And then he had a car that he could take the cooking oil from the kitchen and use that. To yeah. fuel his car and he'll drive around. Yeah, we knew wow. someone who had a bus. That and did I've that. never heard him complain about the gatekeepers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're, they're holding me Holy back. Holy you know? Yeah, he's made his own way. And I, and I think that's what they're so fucking, um, like, so in Australia, like, the comedy thing, like, we have these festivals. I don't think it's to the same degree that you have it in America. But, like, every city in Australia has their, like, fringe festival now. And so comedians see where they want to be and then they go do spend thousands of dollars to go to these comedy festivals and they're not known. And it's the dumbest thing ever because, for, for not for everyone, but for a lot of people it's dumb because they end up having a venue. They have to pay, like, $250 a night, which is, like, more sometimes than their accommodation. And, yeah, that's and it, South Edinburgh. Yeah. It's, they, they took the same template of Rob the Artist yeah. from it's, Edinburgh it's and spread it bullshit. around. And yeah. the crazy thing is most of these festivals and like the, the avenues for success in Australia are like government funded. So yeah. to become successful, you got to be like a state sponsored comedian. Yeah, just for laughs is completely, they're just, they're stealing from both sides. Oh, really? Wow. It's, it's fucking wild, man, because, like, you know, with the whole, like, the blog thing of, like, oh, every pub or, like, the Jimbo story. Yeah. It just shows how, like, like, imagine you go on Shark Tank and your idea for a business is, like, oh, so I'm going to go to this comedy festival, right, or, like, let's call it, like, an Apple festival. I'm going to go sell apples at the Apple festival, and you have the Dave Hughes Apple and the fucking, like, TV, the Project Apple, they're on TV every night. I'm going to stand outside of where those apples are there and I'm going to hand out flyers to get my unknown apples and walk a few blocks over there to some unknown thing, pay the same price for the same apples. Do you want to invest? Do you, yeah. do you like my business idea? Do you think that's a good idea? But I think we do it because we're just like, it's that thing where people start comedy. Uh, but the, the opposite would be, hey, hey, Shark Tank, listen. 
apples will basically suck my dick and give me any amount of money to get seen. So, uh, so I'm going to charge them however much. And, uh, and they're going to be happy to pay it just because they think they have a shot at being famous. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The people who run the, like the puppet masters. The puppet, the Illuminati. The, the Illuminati. Yeah, well, <laughs> the gatekeepers. The fucking gatekeepers. Yeah, everyone, I, like, uh, if, you, if you don't I get. Start a, a, a co-op, comedy co-op, comedy festival. But none that, of this is going to corporate. That's what that, that, that's we, what people are doing. But, but, yeah, but then we, we break ranks, you know. So like, like uh, I don't know, like like people become very Alex Jones after a while. In comedy, it becomes their like, identity. Like, oh, I haven't made it because of the gatekeepers, rather than I haven't made it because I'm shit. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think um, just like I think there's a lot of people who can just go do a solo show independently where they're not competing, and then charge whatever they want. And yeah. then even if you get 10 people in there, that's fucking a hundred. If $10 a ticket, that's a hundred dollars you weren't going to get yep. that. And you don't have to pay someone $400 and you don't have to sit there feeling inferior because you've fucking uh, seen someone with a million ticket sales. But the reason uh, American comedians are just so much sharper than Australian comedians as well is because Australian comedians have to come up with an, well, if they go through the festival route, they have to do an hour every year. And to extend that, they'll put a lot of stories, narratives in there, and it won't be as punchy. Whereas yeah. in America, you can, what what is it, for the first 10, 15 years, you're just working on a 10, from what I've heard. Uh, it depends on who you are. And I grew up in a different era. There was no internet, and you know, so you could bleed your act longer uh, if you wanted to, because it's not going out on YouTube. Mm. Um and a lot of when you're starting out, people are just going to see comedy. They're not going to see Doug Stanhope. They're just going to see comedy night. Uh, so, yeah, you you weren't turning your act over as much as you have to when they're paying to see you. Yeah, so just so much sharper. You can keep working on that little club set. When did when did you start doing like hours and stuff? Like when did? I think my first CD. Actually, my my first CD was also available on cassette. Oh, really? It was wow! Seven. Wow! Was that the, uh, the great, great white, white Stanhope? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a piece of shit. And so I got the rights to it back and re-released the better material on Sicko by myself because that was through a record company and it was a fuck you know contract and uh, I didn't know anybody. Guy keepers. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so what, what, when you did the, the sicko one and you got the rights to it and stuff, like I, I take it you probably made a lot more money from that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you just sell that after gigs and yeah. stuff? Yeah, fuck yeah. It's good. Have you heard of uh, ChatGPT? Oh, my God. I have not not heard of that. <laughs> okay. And any single, from Alex picking me up at the airport to every single comic on every single podcast that I've done. And today I was almost tempted, but fortunately your internet is such shit that if a fucking cloud goes by or a fucking milkman <laughs> drops off a bottle of milk in the direct, yeah, I get my internet almost never works. Yeah. Yeah. Our internet's fucking horrible here. Um, but Shane called me a couple of weeks ago and told me a few jokes that he had asked chat GPT to write. And I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like we're all out of a job. Soon well, enough. I, I don't think, uh, yeah, so it can it can sort of like, it can't really come up with original premises and the jokes it comes up with aren't all like amazing now, but it's it's kind of like a sad thing because- If you if your act can get the same laughs by being read on a screen, then you're not a very good comic. Well, totally, right? There's, yeah. there's that performative aspect, but- I guess the point I was saying, like, what well, the thing that I thought was f intense about this, at least in the comedy world, is as this shit gets better and better, it's it's almost like a a new paradigm where in five years' time, people are going to sit at the back of the room, and if someone's crushing, they're like, yeah, Betty. But the computer wrote that one, you know, and like, <laughs> and we'll still be worried about that one guy in the back of the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to do some fucking weird comedy prove it wasn't written by AI or whatever, just like weird act outs. Like, I don't know. 
Yeah, like weird, what, like weird symbols? So something like, 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 like you're not cute AI. to be with comics who worry about the future. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, I'm not I'm not worried about what's going to happen in 10 years. I'll be dead. How, how relaxing. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it must be very liberating, actually. Yeah. Because isn't that the whole issue with young people now? They're just too stressed about, because they've constantly told how, like, the world's going to end because of climate change or nuclear war and... It's yeah, like it's a seven-year-old. But it's ne it's never been different. It's always been the case. It just comes from more channels now. It's uh, AIDS was no different. The nuclear war. You think that's new? Was or, AIDS like a world-ending thing? Fuck yeah! It was, it was going to be the end of fucking. Damn. Much wow. less breathing. You didn't the care end about of fucking. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, worse than the few, end of the world. A few years before. Uh, herpes was on the cover of Time magazine, was it? And that was like the end of fucking. Wow. And then AIDS came out, like, oh my god! Wow. Uh, yeah, people wouldn't sit on toilet seats. There was like, like riots where they a kid that got a hemophiliac kid that got AIDS through a blood transfusion. They wanted him to go to school, and they're like, you can't have the AIDS kid in school. Yeah, it was fucking chaos. Holy shit! The AIDS, imagine being the AIDS kid. It was a death sentence. Yeah, Ryan something I can uh, forget his name, but yeah, it was it was the same. Like everything's out of control. Is that a human nature? Censor censorship. Well, you you can now you can say shit on TV, but you can't say retard. So you traded out one word for the other. Oh, right. Yeah, you can talk about cyclical feminism. You can talk was about huge sex in the seventies, right? So you can talk like, about uh, sexual shit now, but you can't talk about race. That's the big thing, hey. Or, yeah, the the words or the premises, and you have to have. Uh, anyway, yeah, feminism. You, you, uh, you couldn't open a car door for a broad anymore because they wanted to be called Ms. I'm not a Miss or a Mrs. I'm a Ms. That was mm. the original fucking pronoun uh, change of my life. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Call wow. me Ms. And that, that was only in a certain vocal circle and I get a lot of press but no one no one you know wanted to be called Miz and you could open a fucking door for a lady you never meet these people that are angry they just they make headlines yeah that was when it was good that weird angry people didn't have a platform to like broadcast their views to millions of people so now it just seems like everyone's weird and angry well it's the but, it's, yeah. it's the negativity bias like I think it's like in our monkey brains, like it evolved that you, well, like our brains are hardwired to pay attention to threats, right? And it's like the cost of like, oh, is that a lion rustling there or my mate Gary? Like it's better to run than to wait to see if it's a lion. And I think that when we like listen to the news or anything, it's just like a compilation of the worst shit that's happening in the world. Mm. And I think that's going into people's brains and they're constantly just, just on edge somewhere. Remember that the news only wants you to keep watching the news. Yeah. Like at, at the root of it, the news just wants you to keep watching the news. I forget who just said that in a documentary or something, but yeah, there's never the news. It was someone from the news. It's <laughs> <laughs> never a news that's just like, yeah, things were cool today. This is this is Greg. He just went to work and he went home and yeah, had it's like, dinner. It's like the terrorism thing that was like 10 years ago. Like there was no, yeah, Muslims down at the shops just hanging out. We were, <laughs> I was made a joke the other night when we were hanging out with Ben. But what, what do you, you, you watch your news from the 80s? What do you watch reruns of your news? And then the next day I kept thinking that would be a fantastic channel. Yeah. Nothing but like news, nightly news, 30 minute news chunks that from varying, here's from September 12th, 1973. And just to see what just the, like they were, the hysterica, yeah. like, what yeah. they were panicking about. I would watch that all day. Damn, was there ever a time it's like in history vintage where- fear, Vintage fear porn. Was there ever a time where people were like, yeah, things are great, life's no. looking good? No. Never? No. Well, I mean, they, they, they do that now with the iPhone, the new iPhone. Things are better than ever. I mean, if, if they're selling you shit, yeah, when they were selling you space age ovens in the 50s, yeah, the the Amana radar range. They said everything's great, and we're in, but it, on the news, it's you know, Khrushchev and fucking fuck. And so then, yeah, everything's always great and fucking awful at the same time. 
The thing is, I should write this down because I thought of it. Like everyone who says the fucking world is ending is the fucking everything's awful. Ask him if you had a choice where you could go back in time to any era or go forward in time. I don't think anyone's going backwards. Uh, I, I think that's true. But the other day, uh, uh, like to soothe myself, like Sean was saying, um, Sean Smith's a comedian. She was saying how she was like interested in this period of time where for a billion years, the only like complex life form was a sponge and nothing happened for a billion years. And it's called the boring billion. Like that's like the joke, the anthropologists or whatever say to each other. <laughs> Sponges gatekeeping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, uh, like what a soothing time. I hate these comics. You're all talking about our boring billion. They're picking up all our fucking Yeah, using our our terms, these fucking (laughs) assholes. You know. Um, Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. I was just saying that like, it's like how, what a soothing time that would have been. Like, it took a billion years for the, and the only thing that happened was eventually after a billion years, it developed an anus. And it could instead of like <laughs> shitting out of its mouth, it could shit out of its ass. A billion years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Without what assholes. was like the reason? Because isn't it supposed to evolution? Like there's a there's a a reason why something has to adapt. So why did the sponge have to evolve an asshole rather than just shit out of its mouth? Uh, shit out of your mouth it starts to rot your teeth after a while. Yeah. It's like chewing tobacco. So they're, they're always uh, bulimic, back, bulimic <laughs> sponges for a billion years. The female sponges started having some standards. Yeah. Like, get that they, asshole out of your mouth. Beautiful beauty, body positive, sponge positivity. But yeah, so like maybe that's a fun place to go, you know, the, the sponge world that we all evolve from. Yeah, was is there any time in your life that you go, oh, I, I, if I could go back there and just stay in that era, I guess at 28, you don't have a lot to choose from. No, not really. Not an era, but if I'm having a, a bad day or week, I'll be like, oh, I wish I could go back a week or a day ago, but never an era. I, you know, I think of the 70s, I love the suits and I would love uh, the, you know, the, all that, you know, party cocaine fucking at studio 76 or whatever but that's only yeah that's one weekend that year and the rest of the time you're pulling over to try to find a pay phone (laughs) to tell someone you're gonna be late to the airport and then you can't find the person at the airport because you don't have a phone just yeah just the cell phone alone you would not go back in time yeah yeah well that's the thing that like my generation wins wins about is like oh the boomies they had it so easy they could get a house and blah 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 but they didn't have fucking phones or any of that shit you know and there's no gratitude for that i guess but um I know yeah, we that, don't like, have we don't have security but we got google maps yeah well yeah um but like I think well, one of the things that kind of reminded me of, I know in like South Korea, they did a thing where there was a high suicide rate. I don't even know if this worked, but there was a high suicide rate. And so what they would do is they would have like a mock funeral for these kids where they would like kind of put them in a coffin and they would bury them so that they could experience that kind of like loss of what it would be like to be dead or whatever. And I, 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 I guess that made them more grateful when they weren't in the coffin. But I, <laughs> I, I was, I, I haven't made this like work as a, as a bit. But I, I was thinking about like the gratitude and the fear and the whinging. Like I think it's like the like kind of like how people adapt to drugs, right? Like if you like someone who doesn't never smoke weed before, they have a tiny hit of a joint and they're like, oh. And they spin out and they almost go psychotic. But then you know someone who has like 10 cones a day who could operate heavy machinery. And I think that's the same principle to like suffering. Like someone's gone through a life where they've had like 10 cones of suffering from like an early age to now. And then like my generation, like, oh, chat GPT, oh, and we we freak out because we don't have that tolerance. But I guess you've got your, your you've been Khrushcheffing for 40 years well, there's still there, um, the un un uh, uh, visited un tribes, the un uh, all the oh, yeah, discovered, yep. yeah, in the Amazon, yeah, Senegalese in the Amazon, uh, yeah, whatever they are called, like they have never seen fucking running water, like if if you could switch places, like as a reality show. Like, okay, how would you like to go to a world where no one's even 
heard of Jesus, much less Trump. Like it's that simple, but there's no toilet paper. Like, like all the ease and that, that purity of a fucking Eden like existence. And they exist. They are protected. Like you can't go visit them. That one kid tried a couple of years ago as a Christian missionary heard about the, the Senegalese and uh, took a canoe out there and they fucking riddled him with arrows and killed him, left him, his yeah. body on the beach. I heard with the Senegalese at the start in the 70s when like other humans started to go see them, they were actually very receptive to it. But For something happened. I can't remember what it was, but maybe... They they took uh, two of them back or something, and then they kind of tortured them, brought them back, and then they developed oh, I this. Think, like, yeah, one of them uh, died of disease or something. Which, something like yeah. that, yeah. Or maybe it was even a hundred years ago where the uh, you know colonial people or whatever went there, and then took two of them, and then they just like developed the narrative that anyone on the outside is gonna come and kill us, so we gotta we gotta yeah. shoot them. And that's where, Makes sense. that's where racism comes from, you know? Well, it's pattern recognition, yeah. Yeah. But um, I was thinking of, uh, like, you know how you're saying, like, oh, the reality TV show, would you trade places? Like, isn't there, like, occasional, like, photos of, like, you know, Gary goes missing and they're, like, they think he's dead, he's a missing person, and then someone takes a photo and there's a whole bunch of, like, Amazonians and then just, like, one white guy and they all think that's Gary? You know, like 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 some people, I think, have chosen to forego modernity to like be on the canoe. Oh yeah, there's people that disappear like that. Sure, I'd I'd love to get the guy that says, "Oh, you know, make America great again." Like, okay, just tell me when you thought it was great, and we're gonna recreate that society for you, where you think it's, and then you put them through. Oh wait, yeah, they didn't have that back then. They didn't have this. You have to do this to do that and then see how quickly he wants to be where it's shit. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because like, it's like there's a weird, insane splitting because you got the Make America Great Again kind of right-wing conservatism of this like utopia that used to exist, you know, and um, that was so amazing. And then you have like the kind of woke left or whatever that it's like it's only just fucking rotten and I think it's just, yeah, like people split, you know, because that, that uncertainty is is hard for the brain to have a fucking a gray area. Like people just want that. Maybe maybe like. um Yeah, it's hard to be. Maybe like. being anxious is kind of soothing. You know what I mean? Like maybe like, oh, chat GPT, nuclear war. It's like that's soothing because I, with that false alarm principle stuff, apparently like our brain wants to prepare for a threat, right? And if the threat may not happen or it does happen, it's more comfortable to start preparing for it. That's why, like... Well, you think about if you had no anxiety in a tribal context and you thought, yeah, I'll just walk into this random jungle. I have no anxiety about that at all. The the guy who had a bit of anxiety and was like, oh, no, you nah, just they be might be bored lying. out of your fucking skull. That's the, the bit that I'm sure you remember about, yeah, people believe in all this shit because it's... Uh, more palatable to believe that, yeah, terrorists are going to blow me up and fucking urban crime, they're going to get killed to, than to just face the fact that statistically you're probably nothing is ever going to happen to you in your entire life. Thanks so much, Doug. Thanks for chatting Check to us. Check out Thank his show. Enjoy Australia. And I'll see you, right? Yeah, I'll see you in a couple of hours. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, there were probably some awkward moments there. Uh, in hindsight, I might not have gone in with the best strategy. Uh, I just thought with Doug being the sort of irreverent comedian he is, I'll just uh, go in without any plan, without any topics to talk about and just just riff, just see where the conversation goes. But maybe I should have planned a few things. Maybe we could have done things a bit differently, but I hope you like it nonetheless. Big shout out to Alex from the Sit Down Comedy Club who hooked us up with Doug. Go see a show at the Sit Down Comedy Club. Go follow Shane Hunter. I, I really love that guy. I think he's a brilliant comedian, also based in Brisbane, much like Alex and Sam from two weeks ago. So great comedians coming out of Brisbane. You funny people up in Queensland. So check out Shane Hunter. And of course, check out Doug Stanhope. If you haven't listened to his specials, seen his specials, he's been doing it for decades. He's brilliant. Really, really admire the guy. Love the man. And big thank you to him for doing that and putting up with our uh, awkward questioning now. Episode 150, the hiatus. Um, 
Yeah, so as I mentioned last week, things are very hectic for Jordan at the moment. I'm sure it was a bit abrupt and sudden for a lot of you to hear that because since I posted that last podcast, he's he started doing videos again. He started doing the podcast with Ali and Miss Love. Now, uh, I've had a few text exchanges with him. And like I said, he's he's basically just told me his life is very hectic at the moment and he just can't commit to this podcast. So it is, uh, it's probably a bit disappointing, but look, I know what Jordan's like. He's the sort of guy that when things get very hectic for him, when things get a lot for him, he he tends to just avoid certain things and and get really focused on what he loves, which is bringing down corrupt people in Australia. So uh, if this was any other person that I'd done a four-year podcast with and and this was sort of how it maybe either came to a close or, or came to a long pause, I, I would be more disappointed. But look, I'm sure all of you can understand, as do I, the man literally had his house firebombed. So I, I offer nothing but support for him. I wish him all the best. And, you know, I hope he keeps doing what he does best, which is uh, being hilarious and bringing down some of the most corrupt people in Australia. I hope uh, his team is looking out for his welfare and his safety and I hope he just stays safe. I mean, it's still very scary to think about what happened. So uh, this journey does come to a, uh, a, a, a at least a pause, potentially an end, and I, I really hope all of you have enjoyed the 150 podcasts that we've put out. I hope you've gained something from it. I certainly have. I... I don't know if you listened to the early episodes, I have dramatically improved my speaking skills, my ability to converse. And I mean, that's partly because Jordan is so dominant in a conversation that it's forced me to become more dominant. So I'm eternally grateful for that. Uh, I will be pushing sex sales really hard. I think there's a lot of potential with sex sales. I know uh, a lot of you who listen to this podcast are very interested in politics, geopolitics, Australian politics, self-help and we don't necessarily cover those topics in sex cells, but uh, we do occasionally. And I would encourage you to go and subscribe. Give it a listen if you haven't already. I think it has so much potential. I think uh, when we started sex cells three years ago, a lot of people commented saying, well, why, why are you talking about these you know, seemingly irrelevant issues like dating and the difference between men and women when there are so many crazy things happen happening in the world like COVID and look at how times have changed. In three years, everyone's talking about dating. Everyone's talking about red flags. Andrew Tate has had a rise to, to fame and, and is now probably in a jail cell somewhere in Romania. Matt Walsh has that famous documentary. So we were ahead of the eight ball, not to brag. Go and subscribe to Sex Cells, basically. Uh, like I said, two weeks ago, I will be, um, ending the, uh, subscriptions right now. And overall we raised $11,140 for charity over two years, $11,140. Huge thank you to everyone who was a subscriber. Even if you were just at the $1, $2, $3 level. That's a lot of money, <laughs> and it means a lot that uh, this podcast was able to facilitate something so meaningful, and I'm sure all the uh, kids in Africa or whoever were the beneficiaries from the Life You Can Save algorithm are very thankful for your uh, hard-earned money. Um, I'm going to end with one final question here, just from Matthew, and um, then, yeah. Uh, I hope, like I said, that you've enjoyed the 150 episodes that we've put out and I'd encourage you, go over to Sex Cells. Uh, I'm posting a lot of other stuff on my YouTube, on my TikTok, on my, on my Instagram and if this is the end of Neil and Jordan, man, it's been, uh, it's been very enjoyable and I hope you guys have enjoyed what we've put out and I hope you've learned from it. And uh, look, these episodes are always going to be there. You can always revisit the uh, intense, crazy, hectic, funny conversations that we've had over the last four years. So this is from Matthew. And, and I emailed Matthew. He said it was all, all good for me 
to answer the question without Jordan. So Matthew, I do apologize that Jordan's not here to answer it uh, with me, but I hope I can still do a good job. Hey guys, my name is Matt from the Gold Coast. I'm a big fan of both of you and the podcast. You said a little while ago it'd be interesting for everyone that listens to the podcast to think about where they were in their life when they first started listening versus where they are now. What an appropriate question. Wow. I can say that since listening to you, I've really grown up a lot. I'm in a great long-term relationship. I bought my own place and am much healthier now. Don't take all the credit. <laughs> I've also had great influence from Jordan Peterson, Tony Robbins, and many others. But because you're both millennials from Australia, you're very relatable and have set great examples in your lives of being successful and hardworking. So I'd like to say a big sincere thanks for doing what you do. It's very valuable to me and many others. My question is, if you were musicians and that was your business, what would you do to become successful? I'm asking because I'm a musician. I've had some success like playing Splendor in the Grass, wow, and touring in Europe a couple of times, but it's never really been financially viable. Oh, Splendor in the Grass, not financially viable? Wow. I guess it's a one-off thing. Uh, it's very fulfilling, and I will always make music, but would love to make it provide a substantial income. I'm working on a bunch of things, but would love to get your opinion and ideas because you've been successful in different industry. You can check out my music on Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram under... OK Matt Collins, and the band is called WAB. So OK Matt Collins, OK M-A-T-T-C-O-L-L-I-N-S, and then the band W-H-A-R-V-E-S. Waves with a H, no, waves with a H and an R in there. W-H-A-R-V-E-S. Well, first of all, Matt, I'm glad that uh, we've had a positive impact on you and your life. Like I said, it's a very, it's a very appropriate question to, uh, or potentially be the last part of Neil and Jordan. Who knows? Uh, so you know, it's even a bit emotional. Wow. Uh, look, I don't know much about the music industry in Australia. My perception of the music industry in Australia seems to be that there are two possible paths. Uh, up until maybe recently, it seems to be either you go the Triple J route and you're that kind of indie. Uh, loved by the industry type of artist or you just go totally mainstream and you get on either the X Factor or Australian Idol or you're like Tim O'Matic. That guy was great, by the way. Uh, so I'm not sure how you do it now. Now it seems like there's a lot of people popping up on social media, much like comedy. And there's a lot of big rappers coming out of Western Sydney and, and all over Australia and they seem to be doing it purely on social media. So... I mean, it goes without saying, I think to build a sustainable business in any artistic realm nowadays, you need to have a strong social media presence. So keep that up. Keep pumping the music. If there's something, I found this with, uh, with comedy, you need the, the pure artistic content that you put out at whatever interval you feel comfortable with. So I have my specials, my short films. These are the things that I take a lot of time to put out. I put a lot of effort into and they sometimes come out once a year, sometimes once every two or three years. But uh, in order to keep people engaged, you need something else. You need some other kind of content that it's not like you don't give it everything, but it needs to be consistent. It needs to be repetitive. Now, I'm not sure if this is as relatable to the music world, but I'm assuming it is. I'm assuming that's the world we live in now and I'm just thinking about some of the really big music artists. A lot of them are just like fashion icons. It seems like they'll just post nice photos that sort of fit their brand, either their musical brand or their artistic brand and they're just they're keeping the fans engaged. They're keeping the followers engaged. It's such a clusterfuck on social media now and... Look, you don't want to overpost, I suppose, but uh, you, you do need to be posting regularly. So that's a big thing. Um, much like the advice that would be given to anyone in, in any kind of financial setting, you, you probably need to diversify those income streams. So if you're doing the festivals, that can be one stream of income and then potentially uh, 
you know, streams on, on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it may be, live shows, uh, teaching, whatever way you can sort of diversify those income streams and, and just sort of dip your toes in many avenues through which you can make a bit of money. I, I, I can't see how that wouldn't be good advice in any industry. And I'm assuming it's the same in the music industry. Um, look, aside from that, man, I, I, I don't know a hell of a lot about the music industry. I, I do wonder if uh, there's a similar kind of disconnect between the people making it on social media versus the established industry. I'm, I'm not a big listener of, of Triple J. It seems like that is the, the big musical institution in Australia. And everyone I know who does music, who's trying to make it in the music world, either they tend to complain about it a lot and they always have a negative view, but then if those opportunities come up, they'll, they'll be the first in there. So um, I wouldn't close the door to uh, mainstream possibilities such as uh, Triple J or maybe even, I don't know, one of those talent shows or something like that. Although I also know there's a question of artistic integrity that comes with some of those shows, especially Australia's Got Talent or something like that. So you've got to weigh all of that up. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, if you want to make it financially viable, I think that's the big one. You've got, to, you've got to think of multiple ways that income can come through and not just rely on, say, live shows or not just rely on streams because then if something happens, like another COVID, well, your live shows are all gone and a lot of musicians struggled then and a lot of comedians struggled then and it was the people who also had online content such as podcasts, that uh, were able to continue on in their career. And uh, evolving your image, you know, all the a lot of the musicians and artists I've always liked, they're, they're every two or three or four years, they just come out with something completely different, something potentially off-brand, a completely new image, completely new sound, challenging your audience in a way. I think that's really cool. I really do enjoy that. Um, yeah, other than that... Um, Always work hard, obviously. Uh, a lot of people in the arts industry are uh, get caught up in the in the cocaine and the partying. So even if you're putting out an image like that, don't actually do it. <laughs> You've got to be hustling. You got to get get on that Gary V mindset and you know treat it like any other job. And most jobs, you're working at least eight hours a day. So just because you're doing an artistic profession doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing that. You should be working the same amount that a uh, you know, a tradie works. There's no reason you shouldn't be. So sounds like you're listening to the sort of people that are going to encourage you to do that nonetheless. And I don't know if I have any more advice for, for music because it's just not, it's an industry I'm sort of slightly related to, but it's, it's, it's extremely different to comedy and what I do. I'm glad to hear that you're healthy. I'm glad to hear that you're at a much better place financially and man i wish you all the best once again okay matt collins wabs i hope i got that right w-h-a-r-v-e-s matt thank you very much uh, i hope that was a satisfactory answer to the question thank you for the subscription thank you everyone who has subscribed over the years, I'm going to bring up some of the people who have uh, donated the most, and I'm just going to give a quick shout-out to them. All right, there's a big shout-out to some of the people who have donated the most over the years. Once again, $11,140. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for who I assume are mostly millennials, Gen Z, and there's a bloody rent crisis going on. So thank you. Thank you so much. This means so much, and I'm sure you remember... Uh, some of the, the, the reasons why I decided to move towards a charity model. So this, this really does mean a lot. Thank you. Uh, I'm just going to say some first names here for some of the people who have donated the most. Will, Tyler, Darren, Lachlan, Ben, Rohan, Jonathan, Jackson, Cameron, Adam, Dougie, Thomas, Kerrod, Tia. Hey, we got a female in there. Benjamin, <laughs> Philip, David, Amanda, another one. Alex, Peter, Tim, Bradley, Finn, Mark, Jay, Harry, Angus, Jamie, Tamsin. And then there's there's still a very long list, but those are the ones who have donated the most over the years. And look, 
thank you. Thank you all so much. I've said thank you so many times on this podcast. But uh, look, once again, it's a bit awkward the way this whole thing is ending. I hope you understand the reasons behind it. Like I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast last year and uh, earlier this year, it was getting increasingly hard to do the podcast. Uh, every six months, Jordan was either uh, on the news, in court, or uh, his life was literally in danger. So um, it does make it a bit difficult to uh, organize a podcast. And post-COVID, we were touring a lot, so it was getting hard, and we weren't necessarily able to give our best selves to the podcast. And this frees me up to really give 110% to sex sales. And I, I really believe that's going to become a mainstream hit. That is going to be huge. That is going to be the next life uncut. Sex sells. Okay, a lot of people listen as a couple. So if you've got a, if you've got a partner, listen with your partner and you'll enjoy it. But it's not about sex sells. It's about Neil and Jordan. And once again, big shout out to Jordan. All the guests that I've had on this year, Ali, uh, Alex, uh, Sam, go follow them. Alex Malinkovich, Sam Bowden, Shane Hunter. He's hilarious. Go follow him. Thank you, Doug Stanhope, for this episode. Uh, I, I'm, I'm quietly confident we can do a big finale episode, Jordan and I, or some sort of, you know, uh, we, we'll get him back eventually. But yes, this podcast is now officially on indefinite hiatus. I think I've canceled all the subscriptions. If I haven't, if you're still getting charged, just email neil.business at outlook.com. That's neil.business at outlook.com. Uh, but uh, thank you again. What a crazy four years it has been. I hope you've enjoyed it. And hopefully you'll hear our voices soon. Enjoy 2023. All the best.